The All-Star break is here in the NBA, and of course that applies to the Atlanta Hawks as well. On today's episode, we'll look ahead to the second half of the season, see where the Hawks stack up in the East, answer your mailbag questions, and yes, discuss the head coach and all of what's going on there. We'll get into all that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1414 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday in advance of the All-Star break. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the Lawton Podcast Network. May make, make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. In today's podcast, we'll be getting into the mailbag with your questions. But first, I want to tell you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Also, we're on YouTube over on the video side, and I do appreciate everyone for tuning in to today's show. And there is plenty to discuss. First of all, if you missed it on yesterday's show, we talked about the entire breakdown of the Hawks losing at home to the Knicks on Wednesday. Prior to that, a Hawks-Hornets breakdown. That special guest on the podcast in recent days. And we'll have much more content coming, coming up later on in the All-Star break. But in advance of the weekend itself with the league heading to Salt Lake City, on this Thursday into Friday, I thought it was a good time to catch up on the, on the mailbag and get into a lot of different topics with Nate McMillan later on in the podcast. That's a prominent topic, of course, with, with Hawks fans right now, plus Sadiq Bay, plus trade stuff. But first, let's talk about the actual on-court performance. And the first question of today's podcast comes from Christian, who says, What is the realistic best-case scenario and worst-case scenario for the Hawks in the standings this season? Also, what is the most likely outcome in what you think? So I'm going to use projections to build some of this out. Also, just common sense, schedule stuff, and the way that the Hawks have been playing, plus injuries, etc. Keep in mind, I'm recording this podcast midday on Thursdays, and there's some games tonight. But nothing should, tra- should change too drastically in the mix here. Most projections have the Hawks finishing as the eight seed in the end. And that is also where the Hawks are right now, as I record this podcast. They are three games behind the Heat for number seven, three and a half games behind the Knicks for number six. That's why yesterday's game was so big in a bad way for the Hawks. They could have secured... The tiebreaker against New York, and they also could have um, won the game, of course, which would have cut, cut, cut a game off of the, of the uh, deficit in the standings. But the Hawks are uh, just also ahead of Washington and Toronto, and those teams are in the 9 and 10 spots, respectively. As far as most likely is concerned, I think it kind of has to be the 8 seed as the most likely scenario because of all of what's transpiring around them and the Hawks' performance this year. That would mean, of course, a play-in game against the 7 seed, and then another, if you needed it, to be either the 9 or 10 seed in the second game of the play-in to get into the playoffs. And trying to be level-headed and analytical on this, it would be hard for the Hawks to um, be projected, like flat-out projected, to pass the Knicks or the Heat. Because, you know, just in short, they're three or three and a half games behind with 23 games to go. And even if you believe the Hawks are better than the Knicks or better than the Heat or both, that's a large gap to overcome in a relatively small sample size. The same, by the way, applies in reverse to the teams below the Hawks. I think the Hawks are just better than the Wizards and the Raptors. And they have the edge in the standing. So that's kind of why the Hawks project to stay where they are, honestly, at the eighth spot, if I had to pick the most likely scenario at this point. Realistically, on the best case side, we'll start positive and then we'll go to the negative in a moment. I think the number six seed is probably the best realistic scenario. There's a chance to get to, to, get to five as well, but I think six is more realistic. 
The only system that I know of that has seed by seed projections that are released each day is basketball reference. And they actually have the Hawks as a 3.4% chance to finish at number six and a 0.6% chance to be number five in the standings. I think there's more danger than the systems might know of the Nets falling out of the five spot because in short, the Nets made a lot of different changes. They're still not bad, by the way. This isn't a situation where the Nets just tore their roster down. Like, they're worse, for sure, without KD and Kyrie. There's no star power. This is a, That's a deep team that has some talent on it. So they, they shouldn't just completely plummet in the standings. And, again, they're five and a half games ahead of the Hawks right now um, when it comes to the standings. So, anyway, I think the three and a half or three-game gap is more manageable between the Hawks and the sixth seed right now. I think if the Hawks were to go, like, 15 and 8, or 16 and seven, they have a pretty good chance to get to, the, to get to the sixth spot. Obviously, that is not something that you can assume at this point. The Hawks are 29 and 30, so you cannot you cannot just project a close of 15 and eight, 15 and seven. Could they do that? Absolutely, it's happened. Honestly, the last two seasons, the Hawks have finished very very strong, but this year that run hasn't happened yet, and we're deeper into the season than they were the last two years. And the Hawks have been healthy most of the season, where they weren't the last two years when they actually got healthy. They got a lot better in the second half of the season. Um, worst case scenario on the more negative side, of course, is uh, pretty dire in some respects for the Hawks. Um, I think, honestly, falling out of the play-in entirely is not out of the question by any means. That would have seemed a lot less realistic a few weeks ago, but the Hawks never made their run, of course. And also, just practically speaking, the Hawks are two and a half games ahead of the 11 seed, and 11 is not where you want to be. The Bulls are there right now. And Chicago is a team that I don't feel particularly threatened by if I'm the Hawks, but they do have some talent. They can make a run at some point. And basketball reference, that same site we talked about a second ago, give the Hawks a large, a much larger chance to finish 11th than 6th. The Hawks have a 23% chance to miss the play-in entirely, according to basketball reference. That seems a little bit higher than I would have it, but I think the Hawks are probably in that you know 10 to 15% range of falling all the way out. You know, one Trey Young injury, one, uh, you know, Honestly, an injury to anyone makes this Hawks team a lot worse, but especially if it were to be Trey for two weeks or something like that, um, two injuries somewhere else, or just not playing well, because obviously the Hawks are not playing that well right now. So there's a chance. Um, there's the malaise that's going on around the team in the last week or so. Um, the Hawks do benefit, again, from having some teams below them be pretty uninspiring, in my mind, in the Wizards, Raptors, and Bulls. But um, there is a world in which, in reverse, the Hawks were to close the season, you know, 9-14, and 14, and maybe fall out. I wouldn't imagine that to be the case. And again, it's not likely at all, but I would be somewhere in the 10% range, maybe a little bit higher than that to fall out of the play. And I wouldn't quite be in the 23% chance that the basketball reference people have, but it's definitely on the table. And I think the numbers say this, and I wouldn't argue that it's more likely right now, the Hawks would be out of the play in than uh, in a bad direction, out of the play in a good direction, basically being the sixth seed at the end of this run. So as I said last night on the podcast, just to drive this point home, this is not where anyone thought the Hawks would be at this point. Even the skeptics around the Hawks this season had the Hawks generally in that 6-7 range projection. Um, I was higher on them than, than that even. I had them in that 4-5 battle, and I had the Hawks projected to be a 49-win team this year. Um, that is not totally out of the question still, but certainly not likely. They have to finish something pretty crazy to get there. Uh, I think it would be like 20-3, and three, which is not going to happen, I don't think, at this point. So after the Murray trade, and even with, honestly, I was much more harsh on ownership in particular and the decision-making the Hawks did after the Murray trade, i.e., uh, you know, the Herder trade, um, not spending, um, not having a full bench, all that stuff. I was not kind to them on those things, which I, th I think, honestly, has been proven to be pretty right at this point. But even after all of that, I picked them to be a high 40s win team. And um, while the season's not over, they've been playing 500 basketball, essentially. They're actually having a negative point differential right now. 
um, through 59 games. And that was an outcome that I would have told you probably needed to have an injury or two. And yes, the Hawks have not had perfect health this year. But big picture, I know there's a this narrative out there by some that the Hawks have been really banged up, but that's really not the case at all. Atlanta has been, if anything, healthier than you would expect um, for a full season of a team that's com- that's competing. They've had some injuries for sure, but none of their guys have missed more than like a third of the season. And a lot of their key guys have missed 10 games or less. So they have uh, not been perfect by any means there. But, um, you know, the fact that they're 29 and 30 is a surprise to, I think, even the skeptics on the Hawks this year. And uh, they have some time to correct to, to correct that. And we'll answer some questions about the uh, rest of the season in a second. But that's kind of the synopsis right now. For I got a lot of questions about like kind of where they are in the standings and all that stuff. I know a lot, a lot of Hawks fans are just more game-focused, and I totally get that. I think, you know, there are different kinds of fans out there, people that just want to watch basketball, root for their team. There are big-picture fans looking into the future. There are angry fans. There are optimistic fans. And that's, that's kind of part of the beauty of basketball and just fans them in general but um as far as the basketball nuts and bolts are concerned the hawks are not in the greatest spot nor is the season over at this point they still have some optimism if you want to find it in the numbers all right we'll get to some more questions in a second including one on the head coach i promise you we'll get to that momentarily but first a word from our sponsors on today's show Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the season, of course, is now behind us in the NBA. All-Star break is here. The perfect time to download FanDuel is also right now because FanDuel is number one, America's number one sports book. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means bonus bets coming back to you. If your first bet does not win at FanDuel, download the app right now at FanDuel Sportsbook, and you can find all of this in one place. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. All the sports that you're looking for, all in one. That includes point spreads and totals and money lines, player props, game props, etc. The All-Star Game is a good time to get in the action as well. There are also a bevy of events, of course, on Saturday. Slam dunk contest, three-point contest, etc. For example, Buddy Heald is a betting favorite three-point contest right now at FanDuel. And old pal Kevin Herter is plus 600 as I record this podcast. Also, rookie sophomore game stuff in the mix. AJ Griffin taking part on Friday evening. So we'll have all of that um, in the mix and more on FanDuel. From there, also find many more exclusive bets at FanDuel, like, like the two by three, which is what you actually have two threes in the first three minutes of a basketball game. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine bets together for bigger payout with a same game parlay. Don't miss the chance now to have a no sweat first bet up to a, up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. One more time, that is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Today's show is brought to you by Nissan. And Nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. It was not a great week for the Hawks, but it's a big week for AJ Griffin, who had a nice game, of course, on Wednesday with 12 points off the bench. He was one of the better reserves in that game for Atlanta, and he's also the lone player for the Hawks taking part in All-Star Weekend out in Salt Lake City this weekend. And the Nissan Aria is brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, and suddenly powerful, bringing an impressive combination of traits to the table. Griffin is also an interesting combination. Quite versatile already in his career, has the power to go up against anybody that needs to, plus the smoothness. And AJ is already very, very polished at this early age in his career. The Nissan Aria packs power that will pin you to your seat, and it also has premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, EV for the people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. All right, and we'll dive in now to probably the number one question or set of questions that I've been getting um, all season long, but especially in the last week with the Hawks losing back-to-back games in pretty ugly fashion. And that's a lot of questions about Nate McMillan and his status and what should happen there. And I picked one from Grant that personified some of the questions, but certainly I got a wide range of Nate-related questions ranging from people that were just so angry and yelling about it or uh, you know, f- philosophical or whatever. But anyway, Grant's question is, how is Nate McMillan not fired and what possibly could be the rationale to keep him? So uh, I want to start broad and then answer the question more specifically later on. Again, every single day, basically, even um, I think it's more magnified during and after losses, of course. 
but I am barraged. The number one thing that was discussed by Hawks fans, I think broadly speaking right now, is frustration with Nate and people being mad about Nate and blaming the staff for losing and wanting him fired, et cetera. I do understand that. It's part of the deal. And um, it is it is kind of funny to me, um, especially as someone who covered the last coaching um, upheaval with the Hawks, where there were a lot of people yelling about Lloyd Pierce and saying that there was no way that could possibly be worse than him. And then they bring in Nate and Nate was a very, very popular man in Atlanta for about three months. And uh, that same coach who really is the same guy, Nate has not changed. He's really very, very similar to where he was then. And uh, now I think a lot of the same people are ready to move on from Nate and really, really mad about him and say they can't do worse. Uh, it's just kind of the cycle of things. And um, this is the case for all sports, but I think especially in the NBA and maybe the NFL as well, Maybe it's also the same in baseball with managers and all that stuff. But I think anytime a team underperforms, um, a lot of the vitriol is from fans, some fans, I should say, not, not all fans, is lobbed to the coaching staff. And I think it's honestly fair on some level this year. I think, as we'll get into it in a second, the Hawks have not done a great job with the staff this year. I'll be the first to say that. Also, he's not the only problem. Like, if the framing is that Nate McMillan is the only thing holding this Hawks team back, I would I would have issue with that. And as I will say again in a second, and as, as I've said before, I don't think Nate's doing a very good job. I don't think Nate's a above average coach. I think he is a problem big picture with this roster, with, with the roster and with the organization. I think the staff has to be better in the future. But you also can't tell me that a different coach, uh, let's just say average coach X, would have the Hawks as the three seed this year. Like I've heard that stuff. That's a little bit silly to me. Is it plausible? Sure it is. But like, unless you're telling me that they have Budenholzer or like a, a proven top five, top 10 coach, that's a, maybe a little bit different. But the way that I always say this, and I still believe it right now, is that there are a handful of coaches in the league that I believe are positive, like big time positive difference makers um, at the top end. And then there are maybe a couple every year that are like actively below average. And then there's like a 20 coach group in the middle that are kind of the same and they're different strengths, different, different weaknesses, all that stuff. But um, coaching is both overvalued and undervalued at times. The NBA is a player's league for sure. Uh, I think more so than any other sport in the, in the uh, public consciousness is player driven. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to realize that and that, you know, players make plays and coaching staffs are certainly valuable. And I think in certain ways are underrated, but in some ways as well, uh, overvalued for what, how much difference they actually make over the course of a season in the NBA. Anyway, in general, I think Nate is a below average head coach at this point. And that, you know, that's also on top of that, I think this is a below average coaching staff. And there are guys that I like on the coaching staff. So I'm not, it's not a personal thing at all. Um, it's a very uninspiring group of assistants. That's a disadvantage on a lot of nights, in my opinion. There are positives with Nate for sure. And the fact that he's even handed and the cool, calm and collected, all that stuff has worked for him in the past. We saw that two years ago. Again, famously, the Hawks had that big run when, Yes, they got healthier under Nate, but not. it was a similar roster, and everyone seemed to buy in to the kind of even-handed mantra Nate was preaching. And that's just going to be Nate. Like he's not, he's, not the, he's not the fieriest guy. He is old school for sure, but he preaches those steadiness, uh, those steady habits, the, you know, the connectedness, all that stuff. It's, like, it's, not, it's not a bit. That's like stuff that Nate actually believes. So it, it can work. You can galvanize a locker room through that, get them, to, get them to buy in. And look, this is a little bit reductive. I promise I understand that, but – Nate's been a head coach in the NBA for 20 plus years. He's not, you know, obviously there's a respect level there across the league, both in the organization and elsewhere, elsewhere. He's been a head coach for, I think, four teams. He's like a top 15 all, all time guy in wins. That doesn't mean he's good now. And I'm not saying that I just say he's below average, but like, he's not a buffoon. Like it's not, it's not one of those things where he has no idea what's going on. Um, and you can't just fake all that stuff. However, again, I don't think Nate's doing a, a good job this year at all. 
Uh, I've warned people about that for a long time. I was seen as being too low on Nate two years ago for just kind of saying, look, Nate has his drawbacks. And I think they're the same drawbacks now that they were then. It's just that they were winning then. So nobody paid attention to them. Um, but he's the same guy. A lot of same people who thought he was a miracle worker think he's the worst coach in the league now. And that comes with losing. Um, but there are stuff that I'll just mention now sort of as a list of things that I think that either are problems or below average stuff from Nate. Number one, I, I don't think he's done a great job managing the roster over the long haul this year. I think they push veterans too much with minutes. I think the Hawks don't take advantage of situations to pull back and be kind of conscious of the situation. Like, for example, playing the Spurs the other night when the Spurs were, you know, playing a G League team effectively, and that would have been a good night to give someone a day off, like Capella or Bogdanovich, and the Hawks just plug right through, and it's a um, essentially the approach is to take every game like a playoff game, essentially, with very few exceptions. And I think – the Hawks should have had more management this year of guys like Bogey and Capella on the whole. Um, we can leave that there for now. Some of that's training staff as well. But I think um, if you just kind of watch the way the Hawks approach things and closely monitor it, they don't really take a big picture approach. It's kind of like the next day is the biggest day on the agenda, which I understand. It's You have to prepare like you're, like you're trying to win every game. But um, it's not like a long-term, future-facing, big-picture, holistic approach most of the time, at least compared to some organizations. Another one is, of course, probably the most controversial one, and that is the offensive approach of the Hawks, which I talked about ad nauseum under Nate, even since before he took over full-time. But the Hawks are not innovative at all on offense. The shot profile is bad. They take too many, too many mid-range shots, not enough threes, not enough free throws, and not all mid-rangers are bad. I will be the first to say that. But the Hawks are bottom three in the league in three-point attempts this year. That just can't happen when you have one of the best passers in the world in Troy Young and a proven formula of just putting shooting around Trey and having him spray the ball around to shooters. That's been very, very effective for two years, three years. And they just don't really do the same th stuff anymore on offense. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, part of that is roster construction, to be fair. The Hawks have brought in some guys like Murray, um, even you know Hunter likes mid-range shots. They, haven't, they, don't, they, don't have, they don't have a ton of shooting early in the year with Bogey out. But Nate's approach is far too stagnant, matchup-based. Uh, old school is probably a pejorative, but probably applies here. They don't really run innovative stuff on offense. He's not the guy that I would have chosen, as I said, I think several times this summer, to be the one to integrate DeJounte Murray with Trey Young. He's not the most creative guy in the world, and that's that's a fair statement. I think even, the, even a Nate fan would have to admit that he is not the guy you would drop in a lab to put together this, you know, this dual offensive approach with Trey and Murray. We can go down the rabbit hole more there, but I, will, I won't do any more on that for now. But some of the stuff about, like, how the Hawks aren't ready to play at times is unfounded. I think Nate actually has a pretty good rep of preparing his teams to play, but the Hawks have been inconsistent this year through any metric that you want to look at. And for better or worse, that's going to fall on the coaching. Um, you can't ever know what it should be as far as the blame pie is concerned. Players have to be professional and ready to play. So it's not always coaching. Anytime the Hawks have a bad start, it's like, Oh, okay. Oh, fire Nate McMillan. Well, it's not always Nate McMillan. Like you can't just put all of that on the coaching staff, but Again, accountability-wise, and just the way this NBA works. So the first person to take the fall in an organization, especially one that has a star player already in place, is the head coach. That happened with Lloyd Pierce. And I'm not going to relitigate all of that now, but you know, it was not a surprise to anyone that you know the first domino after the Hawks built up was to change their coach. Because if, that's, the, that's the first and obvious lever to pull. There's no salary cap implications to the coach. Um, anyway, all that stuff. Uh, this time around, a little bit different in that the Hawks also changed their front office in the middle of the season, which is certainly strange. And we'll get into that in a second as well. But, you know, now I think everyone kind of understands the deal with Nate and that he's not going to be likely to be around long term. So as far as why he's not fired, it's very complicated at this point. 
I've said multiple times before that I would be very, very surprised if Nate is still the head coach over the summer and into October of next year. I think that was already the case even before the public reporting that was very, very much out there about how Nate was considering resigning slash retiring maybe earlier in the season. Even stronger after that, the buzz is out there that like everyone is assuming Nate's not going to be back. Again, that's not finalized. They've not they've not decided that and not like pulled the trigger on that or told anybody, but that's certainly in the water around the Hawks. But however, I have heard repeatedly, both during that saga and after that saga, that the Hawks actively urged Nate to stay when he was flirting with, at least in his mind, resigning. Even while ex- exactly acknowledging that I'm not sure, in fact, I know I am uh, confident that the Hawks are not playing to be tied to Nate long term. Part of that, though, is logistics. It is very rare to go outside the organization to hire an interim coach in the middle of a season on a team that's trying to win in particular. And the Hawks don't have a great candidate on the bench. Um, this is not a staff that's like the envy of every team. It's not a terrible staff, but it's not a great one either. Um, they have some solid assistants who have been around the block. Joe Prunty, Mike Longabardi. Those guys are veterans. They've been around. Prunty was a, was a head coach at one point. Um, I like I like Matt Hill. I like Nick Maxwell. They have guys who I think are smart, but they have had a lot of brain drain in recent years. Melvin Hunt is gone. Marlon Garnett is gone. Chris Gent is gone. Uh, even before that, of course, guys like Darvin Ham, who were you know pre um, pre Lloyd Pierce era, they were with Bud. But uh, this is not the same staff when the Hawks had Kenny Atkinson, Taylor Jenkins. Charles Lee and Darvin Ham, who are three head coaches plus Charles Lee, who probably going to be a head coach in the future. This isn't, this isn't quite that same staff. So they don't, the, the short version is they don't have a Nate McMillan to go to. You know, when Lloyd Pierce was in trouble and everyone kind of knew it, part of that was that Nate McMillan was hired and everyone knew the deal. Like Nate McMillan was a 20 year head coach that was the very, very obvious interim if they were to move on from Lloyd Pierce. This time around, Nate doesn't have that guy to go to. Like this, I, I think it would probably be Joe Prunty if I had to guess who would take over if Nate was fired or quit midseason, but that's not, he's not the same level of guy as Nate McMillan was taking over for Lloyd Pierce. So I said that on Twitter the other day and I got, I got a predictable response that was like, it can't be any worse than Lloyd. Well, I, uh, or Nate, I should say. Um, and it really could be. And that's the thing. Like Nate has weaknesses. Obviously I just said, I'm not a big fan of where the organization is right now. at head coach, but he's not a guy that is like going to be a disaster. Whereas the guys below him, I'm not saying they would be either, but it's very natural and I think does make sense if you put your logical hat on to say, look, if our choices are we stick out with Nate, who we know is a professional head coach, or we go to one of his assistants that he picked and they're not going to be able to change the system midstream. And like, you might just be better off with Nate. And I, I understand all sides of that. I think that's part of the thought process to this point in time and why the Hawks, again, from what I have heard, have actively pushed Nate to stay. Um, that could change. I mean, maybe it's bad enough in the coming days where Tony wrestler makes a call and says, all right, we're done with this. And that could happen. I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't fall out of my chair if they fired Nate McMillan in the near future. Um, but I think it's more likely in what I hear anyway, that the Hawks just kind of mutually part ways with Nate at the end of the season. Maybe he retires, maybe he just chills for a little bit. Um, but we'll see. Um, but if they're, I mean, obviously they make a move, I'll do an emergency podcast at some point in the, in the next week or so. But if there was going to be a time to do it, you could argue it should be now. And they haven't, as, as of this recording on Thursday, they have not fired him at Millen. So it's one of those things where I still expect, again, this is maybe a little bit older Intel. I'm not sure where we are. And as I've said before as well, this is a front office now that I have a lot less confidence in terms of like what my read is on them. But at the end of the day, a head coach evaluation, the head coach firing situation, if you want to get to that, would be ownership driven. I think Tony would have to be the one making the call there. And for better or worse, they have a lot of respect for Nate. I don't think they want to fire Nate Miller. I think they'd like to have uh, maybe move on and you know have Nate maybe resign or you know mutually mutually decide to leave or whatever. I don't think they want to put out the pressure release that says they fired Nate Miller. We'll see. 
But uh, anyway, that's a lot on that. But uh, long story short, I think that Hawks fans are predictably and understandably frustrated with the, with the head coach. Some of the reactions are over the top, and I get that's part of the deal. But uh, yeah, I think long term, uh, I would not be trying to t- tie my wagon to name, to name McMillan. That's part of the deal as well. And uh, I think that we'll see where the Hawks land at the end of this. And uh, I've got to hold off on names. People can always ask me about like who's the next going to be the next coach. Uh, we'll get there later on if they make that change. I'm not going to get into that stuff now. But um, big picture, the Hawks do have a, I think, a below average head coach. And that is not great when you're trying to win a title and you have some obvious flaws. And um, there's stuff we haven't got into that I could probably touch on in terms of scheme stuff. And uh, I can, maybe I'll talk to Glenn Willis about that in the, in the future. Glenn's very smart on, on the X's and O's front. But that's my synopsis, my 10-minute or so synopsis on the situation at this point in time. And we'll have more in a second on the rest of the Hawks world. But first, though, it worth more sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat right now, but don't want all the fat and calories that come along with it, try a Built Bar today. I know one of my goals is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me at all, you don't want to give up the taste, though, to actually eat better. If that sounds like you in any way, Built Bar is a perfect option for you. With Built Healthy is also tasty, and they're so delicious that you won't believe they're actually good for you as well. Built Bars have 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside. And there's a ton of awesome flavors. My favorite is cookies and cream, plus peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, etc. And Built Bars taste like candy bars with 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar to go along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And also, you don't have to wait to get a Built Bar right now today. For a long time, I've been telling you to get your Built, your built, balls at built Bars, I should say, at Built.com. And you can still do that. It's still an awesome option for you. Built.com has a huge selection, and it's a fantastic website to visit. Plus, though, you can get them at a local Walmart or Sam's Club right now. That's right. Walk into Walmart, get a box of Built Bars in a hurry. Or if you're closer to a Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box at once right now today. Make sure to check out Built Bar across the board and dive in today. All right. And before we get out of here, a couple more questions to answer on this Thursday into the All-Star break. One comes from Ross, who says, does Sadiq Bey impact the future of Bogdanovich more or Collins more? And I got another question from Alan in a similar vein who asks if there was a, any chance that Bay is the starting power forward next season for the Hawks. Um, I'll answer the question about the future first by saying that I'm not entirely sure. I would lean to Bogey being more affected. Bay is a 3-4 um, there are some Hawks fans think he's more of a two. Uh, the Hawks have said multiple times on and off the record that he's a three, four, and that's my evaluation as well. But in my mind, Sadiq Bey, this is not a negative, but he's not going to be a starting power forward on a team. That's going to be a contending team. I don't think, um, defensively, not great rebounding wise, not great. And I think that there is a very steep drop, obviously from John Collins to Sadiq Bey on defense. No question about that at this point as well. Now that doesn't mean they're going to move on from Collins or won't move off from Collins. Like they obviously could trade John Collins in the next uh, six months. They obviously can't now until the end of the season, but this summer he could be traded. That shouldn't surprise anyone. And maybe they view Jalen Johnson as the guy long-term at the four, but I don't think having Bay around changes that much for John Collins and the future of the the starting power forward spot. Um, They will trade Collins if they want to do that. That was already going to be the case and Bay gives them flexibility and depth, but he wouldn't be like the reason they traded Collins. Um, Bogey's a little bit more direct in my mind because the Hawks already have Griffin on the board already uh, at a similar position with a similar you know shooting skill set, etc. Bay gives them one more shooter that they actually kind of needed no matter what, and especially if Bogey wasn't around. Bogey has that player option, so it's his choice, but it would be easier for the Hawks to move on knowing that they have another rotation guy in the mix who can shoot it, and also Bogey's more of a three now defensively anyway, so he's uh, more of a fit with Bay on defense. Bogey still could play some two on offense, obviously with the ball in his hands more, but with his foot speed questions, I think Bay and Bogey have a little bit more overlap than Collins and Bogey do. And the second question about Bay, I kind of already answered, but I think it's not likely to me that he'll be the starting four next season. I think it would be more likely, honestly, if they were to move Collins, if they started Hunter at the four and AJ at the three, 
um, both long-term and short-term. I'd be surprised if it was a Hunter Bay front court next year. Um, number one, if they traded Collins, they could get a four back or a three back. And if they didn't do that, I think they'd probably go to AJ at, at that point, maybe even Jalen. Um, but there is, of course, no, no no guarantee that Collins will be traded or gone. Plus, he's still their best power forward by a large margin. I know there's been a pushback to John Collins. He is still by far their best four on the roster. Um, and I think if they traded him and didn't get a four back, it'd be Hunter, maybe even Johnson, um, as the projected starter at the four before Bay. But anyway, that doesn't mean Bay's not helpful. He is. The, the depth there is very important. And he does help their roster once he's fully integrated to the mix. Um, question from Rusty, who says, where was Jalen Johnson last night? Is he hurt? Or are the coaches crazy? So speaking of Jalen, as we talked about a second ago, um, I talked about this last night a little bit, so I won't belabor it that much, but I disagreed strongly with him not playing last night. No injury for Jalen that I'm aware of. Um, he came in for garbage time, so I think he's healthy and fine. Um, I would, I did say when the Bay trade happened that one of the potential negative fallouts of that was that the Hawks might stop playing Jalen Johnson. And I wouldn't support that, but I could see it happening. And it happened at least for one night on Wednesday. Um, granted, you're not always going to have everyone healthy. And the Hawks were 100% healthy last night, at least in terms of players who played in the game. So I think he would be one injury away from playing no matter what, but I would be trying to play him every night anyway. Jalen Johnson has shown real growth this season as a player. He's extremely talented, former top five guy in his high school class. Um, probably should have been a lottery pick in my mind, talent-wise. And no one else on the roster has his skill set um, as a open court player, as a grab-and-go guy, et cetera. That doesn't mean he's going to be a guaranteed star or even like a guaranteed starter in the NBA. Like that's He's not proven that he's going to be a starter even at the NBA level. But Johnson has proven to be a rotation guy at the very least and has real upside and just needs to play. And I think that not playing him would be very, very short-term focused, which I wouldn't like. And also, like I think the Hawks just kind of need him to do some stuff. Have him, having him stay engaged would be good. So even if the plan was to not have him close games or whatever, I think playing 10 guys – in the first half as a plan for the Hawks would be smart. And if they need to pare it down to eight or nine after halftime, that'd be totally fine with me, but playing Jalen would be a good idea. Anyway, last thing, a question from Birdman who says, I remember you saying the one thing you were sure of last summer was that the Hawks would not run the same team back. Do you have that same thought now, or could the Hawks keep this team together next season if they made a run this season? I can't remember who asked another one, a sort of a similar question to this, and I didn't write it down, so my apologies there. But basically the question was whether the Hawks should have sold at the deadline after, the last, after losing the last two games, how they've been playing recently. I basically combined these two questions together on some level, kind of look ahead a little bit. Um, but just to reaffirm, I was very sure last summer that the Hawks were going to change something major on the roster. And I said that as much. I heard that multiple times from people around the organization. Tony Wrestler basically delivered an edict from what I heard to the front office to change something big, make a splash, etc. And basically was frustrated with the direction of the team and how they were, how they played last year. Um, that led to the Murray trade, obviously, which is definitely a big splash. And there's been reported the Hawks off for office actually split on that deal on some level, but they definitely ended up doing it at the end. As for whether that's going to happen again, that's possible. We talked about this earlier about the luxury tax and like kind of the uh, the fallout there. But the Hawks do kind of, um, I don't know, they need to figure out a way to navigate like life when it comes to the tax and all of that. Um, it's just interesting to see like what the plan is going to be. I have another like a, a full question that I could have answered about the roster for next year and like the tax implications. But the long story short that we'll probably touch on later on is that the Hawks currently project to be over the luxury tax. And uh, that certainly is uh, a looming factor in the mix. We'll come back to it later on, obviously. But we talked about this a little bit, but it's like barring an insane run of the conference finals or something like that again, I think a change in the top eight or nine guys is likely because number one of the tax, 
an avoidance there. And like Collins, Bogey, and Capella are their major salaries or something more drastic than that even. I haven't heard the same urgency just yet that it was last year to make a big change because they already kind of did that. And also they have less assets to make a big change now. But as far as the question about the Hawks like selling at the deadline, I would have been open to that more than the Hawks seemingly were. I think the Hawks are obviously in win now mode with an asterisk. I know every time I say win now mode, I get someone says like, well, they didn't play the luxury. I understand the Hawks want to win, but they also don't want to pay the tax. And that's a terrible position to be in. I'm the first to say that. In fact, I was probably earliest of anyone locally on pointing out the questions about Tony wrestler and the operational stuff there. But anyway, um, there's no patience level that I can glean from Tony Wrestler at this point. And they're building slowly. Uh, that's not really a, a scene that's a sort of, I'm not saying that's like an appealing thing for Tony Wrestler at this stage. So they have a star in Trey. They obviously wants to win. He's very competitive. They want him to be happy in the process. So there's a whole debate going on about whether the Hawks actually have realistic title aspirations or what the actual goals are. Because when I first covered the team, and even before that, when I was a fan of the team, a lot of Hawks fans were like really sick of the Hawks being the four seed or the five seed or six seed every year. And unfortunately, the Hawks are just kind of back there in that run. Yes, they made the conference finals, but that, that was that was still a five seed team that season. And this time around, the big change, of course, that they had Troy Young on the roster. That's that's a different thing. They have a big name superstar for the first time since Neek. And that helps with that, helps with the buzz and the attendance and the interest locally. But the results have been even less consistent with this team than they were in the previous iteration when they had a very boring team with Al Horford and Paul Millsap and, and Joe Johnson before that. But they were consistently better than this team has been so far. So there's a luxury tax question. It's obviously hard. Um, it's not impossible, but it's hard to build a team that's a contender without paying the luxury tax at any point. We'll see on that. And then I've been open. I, 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 should, I would have been open to like kind of taking a step back in the moment, but the Hawks just don't have the mindset to do that right now. They're just kind of pushing forward um, even while kind of hesitating on the money side. So for instance, like even this deadline was clearly they wanted to get better now and they weren't really seeking like super long-term flexibility. Like Sadiq Bay helps now and helps next year. He's a young guy. They traded a lot of capital, no matter what you think about second round picks, they traded seven of them at one deadline, which is uh, maybe in a record. It's a crazy number. Um, and there wasn't even like a hint of taking a step back or like moving on from Collins or Bogey or Capella and like trying to like reshuffle for the future. They're trying to win now. And I think, to wrap this whole, this whole thing up, the Hawks are better than their results this year. And they could find something down the stretch, but it's been a maddening season. And it's like almost more frustrating the Hawks are 500-ish than if they were like really, really below average. Because then it would have been like, all right, it's time to pivot, do your one-year rebuild, and uh, hopefully get a top you know get a top 10 pick this year in the draft. That's kind of out the window for the most part for now. And uh, they didn't really make any moves to like aim for the future. So... There's more to cover on the luxury tax front. Like I go through all the numbers on that and I probably will in the near future, but essentially the Hawks are over the tax for next year. There is maybe a change of philosophy about that, but we'll see. I'm not quite as dug in as I was previously about the Hawks not paying the tax for next year because I haven't heard that yet, but I'm going to certainly be in believe it when I see it mode and it's been a frustrating season, but hopefully that answers the question. We'll have more on the, on the tax stuff in the future. I have more mailbags coming in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But if you have questions, you can fire them to me. Hawks at gmail.com for longer ones. Also fire them at me on Twitter at BT Roland or at the show, which is at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. Anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on YouTube and uh, ratings and reviews would be huge. Auto downloads. Click around on those podcasts and old ones, new ones. That's very, very helpful as well. Obviously, the Hawks are going to be a little bit uh, quieter than usual over the All-Star break. AJ Griffin, obviously going out to Salt Lake City as the only representative of the Hawks. 
So not a ton of attention there. And I'm not going to be doing a breakdown of the rookie sophomore game or the Rising Star Challenge, whatever it's called now, on Friday. So I have a few days off here, barring a massive announcement or a big news item of some sort. So I'll be back again early next week with President's Day weekend, all that stuff. So I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a respite on the podcast. But uh, please have no fear. I'll have multiple episodes between now and the next game on the agenda for the Hawks, which is Friday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. I appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you all next time.